Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. I don't like long church. We've been going for a while now, so I probably won't take too long today. I want to tell you about the greatest sermon I've ever heard. I've heard every great preacher preach, Mark Driscoll, John Piper, I've heard all of those guys preach. I've heard them preach live. Brilliant. John Piper is the best sermon I've ever sat under from a preaching man was John Piper. In 3CI, I listened to him preach. I started weeping. He doesn't even believe in the spirit, I don't think, in, in terms of the manifest. I, I, I cried from the moment he opened his mouth to when he finished. I just, he just undid my heart. I sat there and I just wept. But I've heard a better sermon than that. And I'll get to that in a moment, but... I want to tell you, every one of you drug addicts who are sitting here today, because there are a whole lot of you from Cornerstone, I want to tell you about how I believe my God works. In 1987, I was an arrogant, I was an arrogant, very confident, very loud, very proud first team rugby captain of a very significant private school in this nation. And we're on a rugby tour in the Eastern Transvaal, and I walked down the streets of White River, and I heard a voice say to me, I was not saved, I heard a voice say to me, you must plant a church here. And I nearly jumped out of my skin. I I looked around and I thought, who was that? And it literally stayed with me and sobered me unbelievably. In 1993, about six or seven years later, I got married. I'd given my life to Jesus then. And I thought, I wonder if that voice is still here. So I left my new bride in our honeymoon suite and I walked down the streets of White River. And I heard a voice say to me, you must plant a church here. And about another six years later, when I joined Glenridge Church, a school friend of mine from Standard 3, a man that I'd lost contact with for nearly 20-something years, a man called Patrick Siebel, when I joined the church and I filled in a visitor's card, Patrick Siebel phoned me and said, hey, Rory, it's Patrick Siebel. I said, Patrick from Clifton. He said, yes, Patrick from Clifton. He said, I want to come and talk to you about the church. And Patrick Siebel discipled me in the ways of Jesus, a school friend of mine I had not seen for 20 years. He taught me about God. And then we went with the elders in a combi. And Gabe, I thought that story was remarkable. We went in a combi to the Eastern Transvaal with all the Glenridge elders. We felt God start to stir us about planting churches. And my combi broke down and we went into this garage called Palm Motors. And as we came out of the garage, one of the elders said to me, he just turned to me like he said, hey, why don't we plant a church in White River? And my heart started to race. And I said, no, and somebody else said, no, we can't just plant, somebody's got to call us. So we got back down to Durban, and the next day a lady called Alana, phoned her sister Sheena in our church and said, have you guys ever thought about planting a church in White River? I only knew one man in White River, his name was Patrick Siebel, the man who, count, who taught me about the gospel. 
And so on the Monday, I got on an airplane. I phoned Patrick Siebel. I said, Patrick, I'm coming to White River. We're going to start a church. And I phoned the only church leader I knew, which is a guy called Alan Parfit. And I met with Patrick Siebel. I said, Patrick, there needs to be a building. We need to start a church. We spoke to our elders, a man called Gary Phillips, who was a stuttering man. He had a barren wife. And eventually his wife fell pregnant. And he was going to preach a sermon at Glenridge. And he was hijacked at the garage with his pregnant wife after 10 or 12 years of trusting God for a baby. He's got his pregnant wife, both of them guns to their heads. Car got stolen, notes got stolen, Bible got stolen. He phoned me and said, I've just been hijacked. I said, Gary, I will choose somebody else to preach. Don't worry, buddy. I was out of town. I'll get somebody else to preach. He said, no, Rory, I'm going to preach. And he got in the pulpit that day in a stuttering voice. And he said, whoa, 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 whoa. one hour, hour ago, I, 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 I was hijacked with my pregnant wife. But he said, my destiny is not determined by a man with a gun, but by my Father in heaven. And, and he got on the plane with me and we went to White River and we met Patrick Siebel. I said, Patrick, where? And he showed me a church, which was a garage. He said, this guy's in trouble and um, he, he needs to rent this facility out. So we rented the facility and six weeks later, we planted a church in White River. And then that church came on auction and um, to, to buy the property. We rented the property. The church came on auction and we had 300,000 rand in our bank account. I said to the elders, guys, we've got to fly up there and, and we've got to at least put a deposit down and see if we can get that building. And as clear as day as we prayed as elders, I felt God say, I don't need your help to build my church. You don't have to come up with all the plans. I've got other people besides you. And God spoke to a chemist, a pharmacist in Nelspreet, woke him up at night and said, I want you to buy a building for the church. You had to put down a 250,000 rand deposit. So at six o'clock in the morning, he got hold of the bank manager, drew 250,000 rand, went and put down the deposit, and he bought the building on auction, which he rented to the church for a few years, and then God said to him, now you must give it to the church. <laughs> yeah? Because God's busy. We were on holiday two and a half years ago in the Eastern Transvaal, and I felt God say to me, you must go to church, 12 o'clock in the afternoon. So I said to my family, we're going to church in White River, and my daughter said, Dad, church is finished, but I'll come with you anyway. So we got in our car, we drove to church, church was finished, to that little building which now belongs to the church, given to them by a man that God woke up in the middle of the night. And there was a couple sitting in the gardens of the church, weeping. Only people there. I said, hi, my name is Rory. He said, Rory, my name is Lorraine. My husband's name is Tony. Our son is a drug addict in Johannesburg. And we don't know what to do. God from 1987 started to put a plan together to rescue one drug addict in Joburg because he's a father he can put combi loads of people together he can put building projects together and we can look at this as a kind of a building project it's got nothing to do with building brick and mortar is brick and mortar it will burn but behind that whole project was one man called Anton Haig who was a champion golfer he won many events and he blew everything in drugs 
And I went and met with him. I said, Anton, my name is Rory. I'm a pastor. He said, I don't want anything to do with your Christianity. I said, no problem. But when you hit rock bottom, you phone me. And six months later, he hit rock bottom. We put him into a rehab down in the south coast. And a man called Harry Lawrence led him to Christ and discipled him. And last week, Anton Haig won the Challenge Tour, IGT Tour, his fifth tournament that he's won since he came clean from drugs. Today, he's sitting in the front row of our church in Pretoria because God's busy with one individual person after the next. They can call you druggies. They can call you addicts. I want to tell you what God my Father calls you. He calls you sons. And He calls you daughters. And the world would love to label you, but God is taking the label away from you and putting a name on you. He's renaming you. And this is what the Bible says in John chapter 14. I am the way, the truth, and the life. The only way to the Father, say Father. The only way to the Father, say Father. The only way to the Father, say Father. I made the Father through me. And then the disciples say, the, show us the Father. Say, show us the Father. And that will be enough. Say that, and that will be enough. Enough to deal with drugs. Enough to deal with divorce. Enough to deal with unemployment. Enough to deal with all crime. Enough to deal with, enough to deal with everything. Show us the Father. And that will be enough. went on to a, a battle site in England called Hastings, the story of William the Conqueror. Many of you will know this story happened in 1066. Preached about this five years ago in this church. 1066, and I was on, right, walking around this battle site. I preached in London. I was preaching down in Brighton, and I was on this battle site, and I was walking around, and I had these National Geographic headphones on. It said, when William arrived from France, he was an illegitimate child known as William the Bastard. That was his title, William the Bastard. That was the label that people had put upon him. And let me just tell you quickly about Gabe the redhead. The Bible says David was a redhead, and he killed Goliath, so don't mess with Gabe. That's what I say, Gabe. That's what I say. You don't mess with redheads. They get cross. Quickly. Quicker than most people. But you're a giant slayer, my friend. You're a giant slayer. And as I heard this thing, I thought, this is amazing. And then he started to go this battle. And halfway up the, up the battleground, they changed, the, 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 the troops said, William is dead. And his troops panicked. And they started to run down the hill. And William took off his helmet. He jumped on a horse. He pulled out his sword. And he shouted, I am not dead. I am alive. He started to ride back up the hill. And when they got to the top of the hill, they stuck a cross in the ground and they changed his name to William the Conqueror. And as I was on that battle site, I felt God say, a thousand years before he came, before 1066, I came into this world in the eyes of men and women, a bastard. And he said, I fought an uphill battle. And there are times when people said, he's dead. And they panicked. They started to go down the hill. And Jesus took off his crown. Cloak of a king. Said, I'm not dead. I'm alive. Yeah. We got to the top of the hill. They stuck a cross in the ground. A 
And Jesus is no longer the boss, but he became the conqueror. Let me say this to you. Christianity starts from the top of the hill because of the finished work of Christ. And so many Christians live in this illegitimacy, what I call bastard Christian behavior, because they don't understand what it means to live in the fullness of what Christ has done. Gossip, unforgiveness, insecurity, rebelliousness, all illegitimate behavioral patterns. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He came as a bastard. He showed us a way, the way to the Father. If we see the Father, that'll be enough. A God who can get, get hold of an arrogant rugby player in 1987 because he wants to save a man caught in drugs in 2015. Participate in the biggest story of God's mission on this earth to show people what he's really like. The greatest sermon. Some might mock me because you've heard it before. But the greatest sermon I've ever heard was only two words long. It was delivered by a man who never went to church. A man who never knew God. But it's the greatest theological truth that I've ever learned. And I played under 7A rugby, under 8A rugby, under 9A rugby, under 10A rugby, under 11A rugby, under 12A rugby, under 13. I never played for a B team in my life. And my dad, my unsaved dad, who used to drink a lot, never missed a rugby match that I ever played, ever played. He traveled 80,000 kilometers to watch me play sport. And under 15 at Hilton College, I got dropped for the first time in my life. Say, I have been dropped. Many people in this room have been dropped. Been dropped by your business partner, been dropped by your marriage partner, been dropped by people that were meant to take care of you and they left you, they abandoned you. They were meant to show you God and they never did. Sometimes you've just been dropped by circumstances. Your dad died too early. And so you ended up having to grow up too quickly. But the reality, friends, is that we live in a nation that has been dropped. And I want to tell you, I believe the greatest legacy and evil of apartheid is it took their fathers away from their homes and stuck them into the mines. And we've got two generations of South Africans, black South Africans who grew up without fathers, and we've got two generations of South Africans that were born illegitimately in the mines. We don't have a crime problem in this nation. We've got a father problem. And the only solution, friends, is not everybody, the only solution is God the Father coming and comforting a two-generational South African people. Apartheid's greatest evil was not the inequality of men. It was. But the greatest evil was the removal of fathers from families that has desecrated this nation. 25 million people in this nation have been dropped. And the only solution is not government. It's Jesus showing us God, the Father. Amen? And I phoned my dad and I got dropped to under 15 and he'd got test match tickets to watch the New Zealand Cavaliers against the Springboks in Johannesburg. And I phoned him and I said those words, Dad, I have been dropped. He was a positive guy. He said, don't worry, boy, die as a winners. You'll bounce back. It'll be okay. And I put the phone down and I walked back to my dormitory and I thought I'd give up every match that my dad watched me play for the first team or the A team if they knew that he'd watch me play for the B team. Now I know some of you never had a dad watch you play. But it was just my world at that time. 
when I ran onto the field at Hilton, the field is the main field, and the, and the field next door is called the number two field. And as I ran onto the number two field at 10 o'clock in the morning, representing a B team for the first time with my heart broken and all my friends in the A team, I heard the greatest sermon of my life from the other side of the field, just two words shouted from an unsaved man. Go, boy, gay! And I saw him standing there, giving up his test match tickets, drove 600 kilometers. And he stood on the side of that field and he just shouted, go boyki, go boyki, go boyki, go boyki. When I made the tackle, missed the tackle, caught the ball, dropped the ball, made a fool, he just shouted. He didn't care about the other 29 people and didn't care about the other 60 parents. Friends, at the end, he took me to his car. He put his head on my hand like this. He put this into my eyes. He said, I don't care what rugby team you play for. You're my son, and I love you. And I realized that day that my dad's love for me was not dependent on my behavior or my performance. It was unconditional. Some of you have not performed well. You've dropped the ball. You've performed badly. You've got yourself into drugs. I want to tell you, the love of Jesus for us and the acceptance of the Father is not based on our performance. It's based on Christ's performance. And He performed well. And He died well. So that He got us to the top of the hill. And I want to say to you, young man, you said to me last night, so you can see who I'm talking to, no? Don't look back. That young man, you said you kept looking in my eyes last night, sir. You kept looking in my eyes. I said, why did you keep looking in my eyes, sir? I kept looking in your eyes because maybe today is just about you. I want to tell you about a God who arrests 18-year-old boys and tells them to plant churches, not so that we can have fancy buildings, but so that he can save one man who's caught in drugs. That's the God of Go Boyki. That's the God of God. Show us the Father. Show us the Father. That'll be enough. I was going to preach a whole theology, but maybe you can just catch this. Show us the Father. Say that. Show us the Father. That'll be enough. I want to show you a video of a man. You've seen it here before. Of a man who pulls his hamstring in the Barcelona Olympics 1992. I want to show you a porky little dad who pushes past the greatest security system in the world. And I want to tell you about my Father in heaven. And we finish. Get it ready to play again if you don't mind. Lord, show us the Father. That'll be enough for us. Enough to deal with our rejection? Yep. Enough to deal with our upbringing? Yep. Enough. Enough to deal with the fact that apartheid took my dad from my home. I've never ever had a gap in my life. No one's ever given me a chance. Yep. Enough to deal with that too. Enough to deal with my divorce? Enough. Enough to deal with my insecurity, my constant need for approval? Enough. Enough. I've heard many people describe their dads, good, generous, kind, loving, wonderful, alcoholic, abusive, authoritarian, absent. But I've never heard anybody describe their dad as glorious, ever. And 
Ephesians 1, it says, I keep asking that the glorious Father, say glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you might know him better. The Bible describes him as glorious. The Bible in Isaiah 9 describes him as everlasting. Your dad might be never lasting. He might be just a few years lasting. But the Bible says of my father, he's everlasting. In Colossians chapter 1, it says, My father has qualified me. The times in my life, through my behavior, I've disqualified myself. The other times that I've been unqualified to do the jobs that I'm meant to do, even now. I can't run my dad's business. I'm unqualified. But the Bible says my father has qualified me. It means he'll give me the wisdom and the knowledge I need to do what God has called me to do. Show me the Father, show me the Father, and that'll be enough for us. If a little podgy guy can push past the security cordon of the Olympic Games to get to his son because he needs him, how much more? Say how much more? How much more? How much more? Now pray this prayer with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. 